When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey. Uh, he's been around. He's one of those guys where he's got a lot of talent, but he's kind of a knucklehead. Judd Zolgad. For someone who has done some amazing journalism, he's just a boob. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Corner Miller, front point, lost it. Now Stamp goes. Score! Stamp goes! A lot. Centers it. Kalorn! Score! Score! He's checked by Sorelli. Shoots it toward the up and down. He scores! He scores! The Lightning are going to win game four! Tony Sorelli, empty netter, 4-2 Lightning. This series is going to be tied up 2-2. Well, Greg Wyshynski from ESPN, we have found our new play-by-play guy of the future here. It's the Tampa Bay guy who loves hockey. <laughs> He's he's a beauty. Uh, well, I mean, you know, who who couldn't get caught up in the uh, enthusiasm uh, yesterday of watching the uh, the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning get uh, pummeled from pillar to post for three periods and still some, somehow come away with a victory uh, out of DC to tie the series. Yeah, exactly. So, Greg, um, here we we've got the Vikes and the 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 Vikings and Capitals are very similar in, in the fact that they're both successful franchises that lead their fans down a path of saying, this is finally our, our year. So my question to you is, how how nervous have the Capitol fans now gotten when they go up to rip in Tampa Bay? Things look fantastic. You know, they are six wins away from a Stanley Cup championship. And now, unfortunately, they're also two losses away from being ousted from the playoffs entirely. Yeah, I think they're bummed, I'd say. It's not the same vibe as, as you've felt in previous seasons. I mean, to be quite frank with you, beating the Pittsburgh Penguins finally uh, in the Ovechkin era was uh, was a bit of a championship in and of itself. And the, the Capitals always get flagged on for, you know, <laughs> raising banners for uh, insignificant things like winning a Winter Classic and stuff. Um, but uh, but in this case, I think the fans really felt like something was accomplished. So I'm not saying that everything else after that is gravy. I'm simply saying that, you know, from their perspective, they're not as nearly as nervous, let's say, uh, as they might have been uh, in previous postseasons insofar as uh, what this team could accomplish. Because I think they've shown a resiliency that they haven't shown in previous postseasons. So this kind of holds them over, even if they get beat in this series? If, just because uh, the, the Penguins was like a big step to get forward with. A little bit, but I think it's also a situation where they will be disappointed getting up you know, 2-0 in this series and not uh, and, uh, following through on it if, in fact, uh, things don't work out. But you know, I, you know the, the thing about this series, obviously, is that the road team has played extraordinarily well. So they go back to Tampa probably feeling pretty good about themselves. 
You know, as far as uh, just like watching the, the aesthetics of watching these playoff games, I know that once you get this deep in the playoffs, most fan bases are going to be rabid, but it feels like with the Jets-Vegas series, if you were just ranked on a scale of 1 to 10, rabid fan bases at their peak, that's been a really fun factor here watching those games so far. You really lose them? Greg, we got you. Sorry, I'm still here. Sorry. Uh, it's, it has been like that. And, and what's interesting is, you know, as you guys know, the NHL doesn't really know how to market its product very well. But yeah. I think they've hit on something interesting. And I, and I want to say that it's the influence of them covering the National Predators run last season. And that's what, you know, when you have a team like Winnipeg, and, uh, you know, a lot of casual sports fans here in the States don't know the names Mark Shifley or, you know, Blake Wheeler. Uh, you can market the fan base as its own thing. And I think in the case of, of Winnipeg, they found a way to make that exciting, to get people into the whiteout, to get people into the, the culture of the team. I think in Vegas's case, uh, it's the same vibe. It's, it's, there's been much more attention paid to the pregame ceremony and, uh, and, uh, and you know, the way the fan base has come together in that town than there is about almost any other individual player outside of maybe Marc-Andre Fleury. So I think the NHL has hit on something here uh, to use the enthusiasm of the fan bases and the atmosphere of these games as an entry point to uh, for casual fans to get into it. Why, in, in your opinion, are, are home teams struggling so so much in the playoffs? Because it's weird. I believe after last night, if I'm not mistaken, it's now home teams are uh, six games under during the playoffs. If you had a theory, what would it be about that? Uh, it's that's an, an anomaly, <laughs> you know. They're, they're, it's been kind of a weird year. I mean, scoring was up, and an expansion team might win the cup. You know, it's like there's sure, a lot of yeah, weird point. stuff that's happening. Um, but you know, the, the, this, in, in asking around, it's the same thing you hear uh, every time road teams have success. You know, it's the where you're away from the stresses of family, you're away from people begging you for tickets, you're on the road, you're, you're playing a more focused game, you're not trying to you know, overpass to make the crowd pop or something on your home ice. Um, but the, the one interesting comment I got from John Cooper, the head coach of the Lightning, about uh, home ice advantage, he said, you know what, in the rest of the series, it really doesn't matter. You know, you win games, you lose games, home away, it doesn't matter. It's, it's the only time home ice really matters for a team is game seven. That's, that's the game you want on your home ice. That's, you know, where you want to put the other team at a distinct disadvantage being in a, in a crazy barn for game seven. So, you know, when you see teams, uh, you know, battling in the regular season, they get home ice advantage. It's not necessarily for the first two games. It's to have that in the back pocket for that last game. The Jets seem to press. I, I watched them on the, the road and, and I'm not saying that they're a perfect team, but, when I see them at, at home, it's almost like they start to press more. Yeah, it could be that. And, and you know, there's ebbs and flows of it. I think the, you know, you, you do see, you know, teams shot out of a cannon sometimes on home ice uh, based on the enthusiasm of the crowd. Um, and there's obviously comfort level, too. I mean, you know, there's some, 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 something as simple as knowing how the boards react when you shoot the puck into the corner. Uh, could be beneficial too. So, I'm not, without question, I think there is a there is a home ice advantage in, in, in the sense of, of how these teams play. Um, but uh, when it comes to success on home ice, I think uh, more often than not, teams are more focused on what happens later in a series than what happens in the first two games of a series. Uh, Greg Wyshynski with us from ESPN.com. Mackie and Judd here. Uh, game show Friday, so if you have the phone number ready. We're gonna we're gonna fire off some uh, prizes here before the end of the hour. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Can you share with our audience? Uh, you wrote a, a fun story for ESPN.com about uh, NHL dads juggling newborns here in the postseason and how like. 
the length of series is affecting them in their home life? Yeah, yeah. So uh, three players in the Capitals Lightning series actually uh, just welcomed uh, newborn children uh, during the playoffs. You had uh, uh, J.T. Miller in the first round against the Devils. If, if the Lightning hadn't beaten the Devils in five games, he would have missed the birth of his kid uh, because his wife delivered 30 hours after they uh, won game five. You had Yanni Gord, who's, uh, whose wife uh, delivered a child, uh, and then the next day he's flying up to Boston. He misses the morning skate but gets into the game. Uh, and then John Carlson of the, uh, the Capitals uh, also welcomed the child, uh, his second child. And so the story is about the, the, that sort of thing, but also, you know, it's, it's not the regular season. It's the postseason. There's a, there's a lot more at stake. There's a lot more on the line. Your, your, your head's somewhere else. And, and now all of a sudden you have this little miracle on your hands. And, and you know, it's, they, they FaceTime. They, they look at pictures. Uh, but it's tough on these guys to, to you know, have the, you know, look at their, their partners and see what, what they're going through with a newborn and wanting to be supportive there. But also just, you know, missing out on that bonding time with, uh, with the freshie. Uh, and being on the road instead. <laughs> the see, freshie, see like Greg, that. this all fits into Judd Zolgad's plan here. Basically, if it's your second child or third or fourth or fifth, you, uh, you don't need – sports always take precedence it's over playoffs. the Greg birth of a child. And if it's playoffs, it doesn't matter if it's your firstborn. you got to play in game six. That's Amen. Well, theory. It's funny. I was asking John Carlson, because like, Carlson you know, has his second kid during the playoffs, and his first kid came in the summer. I'm like, so did you just, did you just like time it better? And he's like, not necessarily, man. Like having a newborn, having a newborn come in the summer ain't any, ain't any easier for a hockey player who gets like two months off. You know? Sure. Like I feel like the perfect time might be like you know October would be the perfect time, or maybe September would be the perfect time to have a kid if you're a hockey player. I just like the fact that these guys don't leave. I like the fact that they say, "Honey, it's playoff time." So, and by the way, if I'm the kid, I don't want to find out in ten years that Daddy abandoned his team for Game Four so he could be in the be in the room when I was born. I'd much rather Dad play in the damn. <laughs> Game. Well, I think. I mean, the, the good news is that these guys uh, aren't exactly making, uh, you know, uh, you know, building burgers at Wendy's money. So I think they're all right as far as like uh, finding some institutional help for their loved ones to make sure that these kids are taken care of while they're on the road. Amen. Uh, so, how afraid is the league that they are going to uh, potentially end up with a Jets Lightning final? Um, reasonably afraid. Like I said, I think, I think they feel like they can market the, the, the fan experience of Winnipeg like they did with Nashville last year. The Lightning are, are what they are. I mean, I think they're an entertaining team. And there's, they're a team that fans recognize from, from deep playoff runs previously, but it's not as if there's a giant clamor to see them try to play for the Cup. The money, the money series on the table is, is Washington and Vegas. For any number of reasons, Ovechkin going for his first cup, an expansion team trying to make professional sports history. Uh, George McPhee, their GM, was the guy who built the Capitals, and of course, you know it, it's funny if you if you really wanted to get into the whole hero's journey of the Capitals. In the first round, they beat John Tortorella, who was their longtime tormentor when he was at the Rangers. Mm-hmm. In the second round, they knock out the Penguins. In the third round, they're they're trying to take out Chris Kunitz, former Penguin, and, and a, a Lightning team that's beat him in the playoffs before. And then the big boss at the end. Would be Mark Andre Fleury, uh, goaltender for the Vegas Golden Knights, right. of course, has you know, tormented the Capitals during that Penguins rivalry. So, if, if you're someone who believes that this thing stacks up a certain way for a team wow. to vanquish all of their uh, tormentors on the way to a cup, it's certainly stacking up that way for the Capitals. So, for for, uh, for Fleury, what's changed there? I I remember having conversations three years ago saying they should trade him. He's not a playoff goaltender. He can't be trusted. 
Has he changed things? What's what's the difference now between him uh, struggling in Pittsburgh in the playoffs and now being so good for the Golden Knights? Well, you know, I I don't know if he's really changed anything tactically. I, he's always been a, a, a pretty solid regular season goalie, um, but no one's ever seen him play this good in the in the postseason. I mean, and I think the comparisons you can draw to the run that J.S. Jaguar had for the Ducks back in 2003 as far as one guy carrying his team no matter what can be applied to Flurry. He's been that good. I do think that there's something to be said for the mentality and the mindset for all these guys that are on this Vegas team, and, and, and Flurry included. Like, he gets tossed aside for a younger player in Pittsburgh. Um, he goes to the Knights. There's this, there's this feeling of, you know, uh, you know, lack of expectation in, in Vegas versus what he had in Pittsburgh each and every year. Uh, he's the face of the franchise. He's a beloved guy. Uh, there might be some some level of comfort there that he's experiencing in this Vegas situation that he didn't necessarily have in the constant uh, grind in Pittsburgh to try to win cups every year. Yeah, Greg Wyshynski, ESPN dot com. Great stuff, and uh, we'll we'll talk again probably sometime, maybe closer to uh, free agency, and try to fix the wild once we get that far. <laughs> Thank you, Greg. Thanks, boys. All right, thanks, man. Um, I found just real That's quick why I love before hockey we... players. That's why I love hockey players because the... they don't skip out on their team. It's playoff time. You can't leave your team. Because it's the cup. Because it's the cup. Four rounds. You got to get through them. Uh, I saw, just real quick here, mm-hmm. I saw our friend Brian Stences from the Star Tribune tweeted out an old like front page from the early to mid-90s. I saw this yesterday, I think, yeah. And I just found another story doing a Google search that the Jets, this is a headline from, actually, this is from actually October 18th, 1995. Yep. NHL Jets sold, likely going to Minnesota. Yep. Winnipeg, Manitoba, October 18th. The Jets were sold Wednesday to an American group for $68 million and will likely move to Minneapolis. Yep. After the 95-96 season, a group headed by Richard Burke of Minneapolis and Steve uh, Gluckstern. I remember Burke Burke's name. Okay. I don't I don't recall Steve. They but purchased I the Burke. Jets with the intention of relocating the team to Minnesota, which has been without a National Hockey League team since the North Stars left for Dallas a couple of years ago. Yep. If the team does not end up in Minneapolis, it would be because Richard Burke doesn't work hard to try and get the deal done. What happened there? Um, they couldn't, as far as I recall, and this is just off the top of my head, they couldn't get a deal done with uh, Target Center, and that was a very real possibility that that would get done. The three teams that I recall us being tied to very closely or at least exploring this territory were the Jets, which was real and didn't get done, and then they went to Arizona. Uh, Hartford and Edmonton both used us, as I recall. And I want to say in both those cases, they went to St. Paul. And and the reason why the X got done was my guy Bettman came to St. Paul and said, you can't play here. Yeah. The Civic Center's not, you can't play here. Uh, so I think when it came to the Oilers and Whalers, we got used. The Jets were very close, and I don't think that they could close the deal to move downtown. That would have been That would have been interesting. Oh, been great! Yeah, uh, would, would they have just stayed the the Minnesota Jets, or would they have renamed? Because they renamed, renamed, obviously rebranded. And the I shouldn't, you know what, you know what, I shouldn't say it would have been. It would have been great in, in the fact that it it would have been basically two years without the league here. What wouldn't have been great is, and I've always said this: Target Center is a terrible hockey building, and they would have played there, and I think they would have stayed there. So the one thing, the one thing that having a long wait for the Wild to start playing was we, we got a great place for them to play. Target Center is just a bad hockey building. It, it's doable, 
but it's not good. But what did it? Because it was still Target Center was still new. Obviously, in nineteen ninety five, it was like what? Five, yeah, five still years. Still not old. a great place, though. What made it a bad hockey building? Even then, I mean, sight lines, could, sight okay. lines weren't great. It's built for basketball, which yeah. is fine. But their their whole thing when they built it was we've got a hydraulic floor and it moves up and down, and so it, it can have the ice. I think that the ice was going to be higher and the court was lower. Yeah. But the sight lines are such that it's it's built it's good for basketball. But in hockey, you you want it rounded. And in basketball, you don't. And so it would have been doable, and it wouldn't have been terrible, but the X is just great, and Target Center was okay at best. Yeah. Mackie and Judd now continue. Ready to be back in business or what? On 1500 ESPN. Well, I just cannot see him going to the Western Conference. I can't see it. Um, unless it's just like I want to be happy and live in Los Angeles. Because if he and Paul George go to the Lakers... Unless there's some other move that I can't see and they're competing with the Rockets and Warriors, they may win 47 games and get the fourth seed and then I mean, it will be out in the second round. And maybe he wants to do that. My gut says he still wants to compete with championships. That's our guy, Brian Windhorst. Windy speculation. Windy with some reckless LeBron speculation. And uh, it's it's a good little connection to this Chris Mannix Yahoo Sports I think I think he just threw this out on Twitter a few days ago. I don't know if he wrote a column about this. I, I saw him tweet this out and got a bunch of uh, fun responses. You've got this ultimate clash right now in the Eastern Conference Finals between the greatest player in the world and maybe the greatest basketball coach in the world right now. Greg Popovich probably still stakes claim to that. But like Brad Stevens, what he did at Butler, and now what he's doing with a depleted Boston Celtics team is pretty incredible. And so the question Chris Mannix posed was, and let's apply this to just for fun to other sports. If you are the GM of an expansion team and you're given the choice between any, in the way he asks it is, NBA player or Brad Stevens, who would you choose? But I want to frame it to be, let's say, any player in a sport or any coach slash GM. How would you go about making that decision? Like, obviously, LeBron James is the best player in the world right now, but right. if you think he's got three years left, and, like, you'd have to cash in within three years with LeBron James or you got nothing. Right. Well, Brad Stevens might have 20 years left as an NBA coach. What is he, 41? So he might have two decades left as an NBA coach. When it's, you, it's very, very interesting. When you posed this question at first, I went, I was very split, and I was thinking of players. and the And the more thought I've given this topic... The more I've gone to executives. Now, if they can coach, that's great. But the more I thought of, about this, because my first my first inclination in hockey was McDavid, because Connor's an unbelievable talent. And but then I thought to myself, he's not in the playoffs right now. Yeah, because they're incompetent. He's great, but but the Oilers are run by Peter Torelli, who's incompetent. And so I basically by the time i was done thought to myself i would go more more coach executive with an emphasis on executive so i think you do that in hockey and baseball so for instance because individual players aren't are but then you think about the spurs and the spurs have been so good for so long why yes they've got some great players but they're so well run and so well coached and so and their decisions are so smart if they didn't have tim duncan would they have won championships and the answer is probably no that's the thing but I'm not even disagreeing. I'm just saying, like, right? But then, but but they had um, Robinson for years, and they were great. And then they lost him and retooled. So my point being is, the more I think about this, if I'm allowed to start a franchise, while it would be very tempting to go with the best player available, I think 
I think for stability's sake, for as long as possible, I'm going executive slash coach. But as I said, the emphasis much more so on the executive part of that. So I, I think it's it's definitely situational for each sport. Like for the NBA, the argument for choosing Brad Stevens to start your franchise instead of a player, and it's a little premature because he hasn't won a championship yet. So let's let's wait a second. Let maybe you replace the name with Greg Popovich, who's won championships. That'd be or my... like Eric Spolster is a really good coach too. But let's say like a Greg Popovich. Pop would be my first choice, yes. Like the argument there would be the system and the teaching and the elevation of players speaks for itself over the course of time. That you're gonna go get guys in the mid to late first round and they and those guys are gonna pan out and you're gonna get guys when you get a chance to pick in the top five or eight, you're not gonna whiff on those, you're gonna develop those guys. And that's a huge luxury if you have a coach that can just put his hands on those players and all of a sudden, boom, like they're all NBA players. Um, the argument for a star player starting your franchise is pretty obvious. You're just instantly relevant, even with bad coaching, right? Mm-hmm. Anthony Davis has had bad rosters and bad coaching, but the Pelicans, instantly relevant. They're a playoff team, and, and with a few tweaks, if you get the player right, and then and the rest of it kind of falls into place, if you can even just get a half-competent coach. But so... I think I would choose a player in the NBA, but I I wouldn't fight you to the death if you chose okay. Brad Stevens. But to me, this goes to to your word, which is culture. The Cleveland Cavaliers' culture with, with LeBron James is fantastic, but the second he leaves, it's gone. That's a good and point. And they're a bottom feeder. That's a good point. The San Antonio Spurs, the Celtics now, you, you look at those teams and say, those teams are going to be relevant and really well run for a really long time. Or they, they, they have been. Where so if I go with star player, that's great, and I've got it, and I'm instantly an exciting team that is that is that can be. I shouldn't say is is potentially good, but when they walk away, I don't have that culture. And because of the culture that you've set, it's attractive to players when they're available in free agency, Gordon Hayward or or via trade. I mean, Kyrie Irving was giddy to go from Cleveland to Boston. This is where the Patriots are, are going to be so interesting when Brady finally does retire. Because that's the that's the question, right? Is it Belichick or Brady? Well, it's it's some of both. No, but but my point being is, I think if Belichick sticks it out, I think they're still going to be very well run and still be a a a very competitive franchise. My point being is, I would rather give myself a chance to sit down and say, I I have hired somebody who, no matter what they do, is still going to make us a relevant, competitive franchise mm-hmm. on a yearly basis. So in baseball, I agree a hundred percent with executive, not manager, but executive. I would I would take Theo Epstein if I'm starting an expansion franchise. I would take Theo Epstein over any player in the world. Mike Trout, Jose Altuve, name the best pitchers in the world. Chris Sale, I'll take Theo Epstein because in baseball and hockey, those individual players, like you take one player in the NBA, and all of a sudden you go from twenty wins to sixty. You take one executive in baseball, and perhaps over the course of five years, you can win a World Series. But you wouldn't say the same thing about a player. Like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper are awesome players. But they but don't win they, championships just, by themselves. Yes. Yeah, because they're, you know, they're getting the same number of at-bats over the course of a season as the crappy shortstop, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the thing that just blows my mind still. And I looked this up again before the show just to make sure it was right still. The top executives in baseball... Oh, I say only. These are first world problems here. This is all monopoly money. But the top executives in baseball make between three and five million dollars per year. Think about that. That's insane. And the players. Fernando the Rodney makes six million dollars. Right. Mike Pelfrey made eight million dollars last year. Right. And Theo Epstein makes five. 
Theo Epstein's one of the greatest sports executives in the history of baseball or in the history of organized team sports. Yep. He has turned around two cursed, drought ridden franchises. That guy on the open market, and I don't know if it's like owners colluding to make sure that executive no salaries are down. Yeah, absolutely is. Think about that. So if if Theo Epstein hit the wide open market and the 30 owners in baseball weren't colluding to keep those prices down, don't you think an owner would pay Theo Epstein 15 to $20 million a year yeah. to fix the franchise? And he did. I mean, he, he got done in Boston and got a job, but if you had said... Okay, twins, bleep it. Just pay him. Yeah, you'd pay him twenty. But why didn't twenty five? Like, why million. hasn't the team done that? That's my question. Like, why wouldn't you go to, to Theo Epstein and say, "Dude, you're Honestly, making five million with the Cubs. We'll give you four times as much. Fix our franchise." Uh, because I think that there is a there is a large wink wink factor among the teams that if we do that, all hell breaks loose. And and who well, let goes? The, let the market bear. Sure, but but my point is for for the uh, GMs or VPs. Who represents them? Agents do individually, but they don't have a a association, a union that can go and say, "Oh no, no, my guys," you know, a Scott Boris, who can say, "Are you kidding me, Theo Epstein? He comes at thirty million, and that's our starting yeah. price." Well, put it this way, all right. I, and I like Derek Falvey and Thad Levine, and I think this franchise is in good hands with those guys. But if you're Jim Polad, and you're paying Lance Lynn two or three times as much as Theo Epstein's making, yeah. Doesn't that keep you up a little bit at night? Like, wait a second. Why am I paying Lance Lynn $12 million when I... Is there a reason why I can't pay Theo Epstein $15 million? But if you become the first, if you break that bank totally and you say, I I don't care, which is fine, but if you do it... it's worth it. But if you do it, then my point is everyone's going to come back to you and say, what are you doing? But it's worth it. I don't disagree with, I would come with back you, and Phil, I would but say, I'm saying though, those are the those are the discussions. That's why that's why I think you're crazy if, if you think what, what took place uh, with guys like Lynn and that group of players in the winter wasn't a form of of collusion. It might not be out and out, but it is a form of hold on a second. Let's reel this back in a little bit. Let's do our best to reel this back in. I'm waiting for a smart executive to just literally sit out. So let's just keep using Theo Epstein as an example. Theo Epstein, all right, hey, I won a championship with the Cubs. Maybe he even wins another one. Let's say they win the World Series this year. Now his stock is even higher. And he says, my contract is up. It's been a great run. I'm going to sit out one year just to recharge a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I want to go back one more bite at the apple with one more team. And I will just, and I won't sign for less than $10 million. You're telling me like 30 owners are going to collude together and keep Theo Epstein out of the league and not meet his demands. I'm, I'm so fascinated by these guys not getting paid the money that they're obviously you, worth. Okay, I think if you played it absolutely correct, you might get paid. But my point is, it does make no sense why he didn't get paid way more. Other than the, the fact that all of these guys talk to each other enough to know that if we if they open up that Pandora's box, it goes crazy. Because now, if Falvey has success here, guess what? He's worth a ton. Uh, the guy in Houston, he could do the same thing now, right? I mean, he's won, won a World Series. He took his goal of taking that franchise and bottoming out now has been copied by five teams. Yeah, it's just, and it might not work for them, but I think the owners at least are in communication enough to be very afraid that what you're suggesting is a potential step. We got nothing but time on this show here. Let's take a call from Kyle, 651 646 8255. What's up, Kyle? Hey, guys. Um, 
I think maybe a workaround that if if salaries were to go up for people like Epstein and Andrew Friedman and some of these guys who, you know, turn franchises around, um, there are a glut of smart people writing and talking and analyzing baseball for smaller market venues. You go to Fangraphs, you go to Baseball Reference, you go to Baseball Prospectus. There's people who are, I would say, you know, 80% as smart all the way to as smart as some of these guys who are, you know, men and women all over the place who are as smart as some of these GMs. And if someone like Epstein were to say, I want $30 million, what's to stop a, a smart team from looking at analysts from another site and saying, hey, what if we hire someone who's making $50,000 a year as a writer or as an analyst for an independent site and offer them a million dollars. Sure. It's uh, BRGM. You know, sure. like kind of, so baseball players are kind of uh, a rare breed and have a ton of skills that you just can't find. And I feel like there's maybe a limited number of people in the business as opposed to the broader audience. Just that's my thought on that. And it's, yeah, and I'm sure that's exactly how owners are thinking, to which I would say if I were one of those four or five established guys who have World Series cred or, you know, a decade of cred, I would say, wait a second, time out. You're going to hire some dude off his couch from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Theo Epstein. And That's those, fine if you want to pay that guy you know, a those, fraction of what it... Those guys get jobs, but not the GM job. Like Those, those folks get jobs and shut down their sites, yeah. but they don't get GM jobs. You're not going to go... That, that's the thing, too. There's, there's a certain... You know, the, this baseball overlord is like a, a baseball CEO where you're just... There, there's a there's a leadership quality that yeah. you can't just find in a guy who knows analytics. Like there's, that's a different level it that takes we're talking a personality about. Personality factor. So I don't know. Thought it was kind of fun, and I don't. I'm sure Theo Epstein can feed his family. What? I think he's fine financially, but Ray I Mills just find like, it. I don't know. I just find it funny that like small place Jason Marquis was making more money than Theo Epstein. One bath, <laughs> little walk up. Isn't it a little disturbing that Kevin Correa's net worth is higher than Theo Epstein's? <laughs> God bless Kevin Correa. Uh, all right, let's let's give away some prize. Let's go callers four and five. Four and five to 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. It's Game Show Friday on Mackie and Judd. Bill Mackie, Judd Zolgad. You two are just dumber than a bag of hammers. Mackie and Judd on 1500 ESPN. Game Show Friday! It is! Game Show Friday with Mackie and Judd. Here are your hosts, Phil Mackie and Judd Sogan. By the way, yeah. Theo Epstein, thank you to a Matt Cheetah for finding this from a couple years ago after they, is this after they won the World? No, it was, it was before they won the World Series, but he's making $10 million a year now. On a five-year deal, so he's getting, as the highest-paid baseball executives, so he's getting by. Which means he still makes less money than Lance Lynn. But he's got two baths now instead of one. <laughs> that walk-up has two baths. So he makes more money than we thought last segment, but he's still underpaid. Let's get to some game show action, shall we? Yes. We've got Corey. We've got Don. We'll get those guys on in just a second here, and we also have a foursome to Baker National as part of our prize pack today. And uh, also a copy of The Pact by UFC fighter Cordy uh, Garbrandt about his upbringing and friendship with a young fan who has cancer. And we always have a stash of 
shirts and different things. Koozies. Koozies, a lot Some of... Some Roycey and Mackie koozies. I was going to say, you got Mackie and Judd, Roycey and Mackie. That's right. <laughs> All right, let's fire this up here. Corey, are you with us? I'm here. Awesome. Don, are you there? Yes, I am. Sounds good. All right. Dave Harrigan, what game will Corey and Don be playing today? Corey and Don, get ready, because we are giving away a foursome to Baker National. I think it's only fitting we play a Minnesota Lynx Dynasty edition of Closest to the Pin. Yeah, Closest to the Pin. The way this works is we have six questions. All of them have a number for an answer. And your goal is to get as close to the correct answer as possible. And we're going to add up your score. And you want to have the lowest score among the two of you by the end of the sixth question. You guys ready? Yes. Wait. Wait. Yeah? Yes. Oh. Yep. Okay. Okay. We're good now. All right. Okay, cool. All right. All right. Corey, we're going to start with you here. And then, uh, Don, you answer second. The Lynx have won four WNBA titles since the 2011 season. How many conference titles have they won over that same span of seven seasons? Corey? I think it's six. Don? Uh, six. They're both right on the Everybody's line. Everybody's a winner uh, right there. Yep. All right, off to a good start here. Both have, uh, I guess, a hole-in-one on the first question. Is that how that works? Sure. All right, Don, you go first on this one. How many playoff wins do the Lynx have since 2011? 21. All right, Corey? 22. Ooh, the Price is Right Mm -hmm. game. The Price is Right game. And the correct answer is 40. Since 2011, they've won 40 playoff games. But Corey is slightly closer to the pin because he watches The Price is Right. Good strategy. <laughs> All right, we'll start with we'll start with Corey on this one. Since 2011, how many times have the Lynx led the league in defensive efficiency? Since 2011, so um, se- seven about, seasons. How about four? Okay, Don. Five. You guys think their defense is their defense is vastly overrated. It's only three, only three. Tibbs times. wouldn't take that. Actually, he just did the last two years. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Don. Back to you to uh, to start off with this question. Simone Augustus has scored five thousand four hundred seventy nine points in her WNBA career. Where does she rank on the all time WNBA scoring list? Uh, I'd say eight. Okay. All right. And Corey? How about seven? This is neck and neck. These guys are like jockeying for position the right next to each other. The correct answer is 13th on the all-time WNBA scoring list for She'll Simone. Get there. She'll get there maybe this year. All right, Dave, what's, what's an update here? We have two questions left. Closest to the pin. Baker National, foursome on the line. Doesn't get much closer than this, fellas. Right now, Corey is 25 away from the pin. Don, 26 wow. away from the pin. Wow, we have drama building right now Woo! on Game Show Friday. So much drama. Is it my turn to throw one out here? It is. Okay, we'll start with Corey. How many total playoff losses do the Lynx have since 2011? Nine. Okay, Don? 
Ooh. Ooh. Mm-hmm. 11 is the correct answer. So Corey inches even closer to victory here. All right, what's the do the quick math there again, Dave. We're going into the final question. Corey 27 away from the pin. Don still nipping at his heels. 29 away. All right. All right, so our final question, who goes first? Uh, we're going to start with Corey on this one. Okay. Lindsey Whalen has the third most assists in WNBA history. How many career assists does Lindsey Whalen have, gentlemen, as we turn the game show on its ear? Lindsey Whalen. Start with Corey. How many career Corey? assists for Lindsey Whalen? Oh, man. Um... Carry the four. Yeah, carry the four. <laughs> uh, let's say 573. 573. All right, Don? Seven oh one. Seven oh one for Don. Both of you have vastly underestimated yeah, Lindsey Whalen's career assist totals, which means Don is correct. Yeah. Sort of. The answer, gentlemen, is two thousand two hundred and forty-nine. Don is closest to the pin. You're both going to win something. I love this game. <laughs> Go through all those questions. Yep. Uh, Don, you got 10 seconds to thank anyone in your life that brought you to this moment today. Uh, Mackie and Judd. <laughs> oh, 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 I forgot Dave, too. Oh, there it is. Oh, yeah, don't, don't worry about Dave, Don. Don't worry about Dave. Especially Dave. Myself and intern Max put together the game show. Okay. I think we deserve a little credit. Yeah, right. Two thousand. You guys can duke it out with uh, Don and Corey on the 701, phone. 573. This is Lindsey Whalen we're talking about. Well, I think... It's the math is tough when you're like in a car and you're on the fly and you got to think okay how many games are there playing, how many seasons she's has been she been playing in? forever I think you got to go a thousand plus I don't know how I I guess I would have said how many games are there is it like a thirty game season or yeah, something but she's played for a long Times, time thirteen or fourteen years and she's getting you know I don't know five assists in a game six seven it's all it's all very easy if you're a game show Friday spectator to uh, second guess couch, to second guess and criticize Monday, Monday morning quarterback Yep. Uh, Mackie and Judd, TCL Broadcast Studios, uh, will wrap up on this Friday next. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Now it's your turn. This is 1500 ESPN. All right, we got an email earlier this week. Judd's been asking, what are these, like, these little sheets of paper that you guys have in front of you during the show? What is that? Because yep. we got an email earlier this week from uh, our guy Matt in Tennessee. Matt in Tennessee, who does Vikings poems for us. Like the Teddy Bridgewater poem, and he's done a couple of them. They're very good. Mm-hmm. He's the, the spoken word director on the Mackie and Judd show. Yes, he's done outstanding. And uh, the email is, for Phil and Dave's eyes only, for write this down. But it's not really a write that down prediction. It's it's more than that. Okay. So this uh, I'm going to read some of this, but Matt was listening earlier this week when we went open phone lines and open communication lines, 1500 ESPN talent vent line. If you want to gripe about anyone at 1500 ESPN, go ahead and do so. Mm-hmm. And as Matt writes, I'm a loyal listener, but mostly catch the show on demand. So I was just listening to a 1500 ESPN complaints. Oh, this is from a week ago now. Yes. I have a 1500 ESPN gripe. There was a caller on Friday that had complaints about Phil and Dave, but none about Judd, which I found to be very odd considering I could think of several Juddisms right off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. And he went on 
to list 16 things as a loyal listener, and by the way, you could do this for any of us, but he is picking on you, okay. and wants a Judd bingo board that you only checked two things off of today. Oh, hold on. This is gr- Are you serious? I'm going to give Judd the bingo board here. Oh, this is awesome. Now, am I wrong that Judd only checked two of these things off? We've been paying oh. rapt attention to the broadcast today, unlike most days back here. Oh, I, this is and good. I only I only checked one, but I'm also like trying to do the show too. So yeah, it's sure. It's 16 words and phrases that Matt in Tennessee felt Judd overuses, and the ones he used today were <laughs> "Here's my question." Yep. And he used "dumpster fire." <laughs> Didn't but I? There's buzzkill, mind bleep, really intrigues me, meltdown, train wreck, horse bleep. I would argue. Here's the thing: all of these oh, he did not use, and I was trying so hard <laughs> to bait Judd. To bait Judd, I was using them myself, hoping that they would then stick in his head, and uh, that he would then use them later in the show. But Judd is. I, I don't know, either not listening to me okay. or more mentally strong than I ever thought he could be. Didn't I use horse bleep today? I don't think so. Oh, I swear I did. And Nick Peters tweeted in a criticism of me just now as well that I retweeted. Apparently they're I playing a it. Mackie and Judd drinking game yeah, on which the golf is, course right which, now. And, which is and according to him, according disturbing. to Nick, uh, drinking game at work today, every time Judd says, my point being, we did a shot, well, none of us are sober. Thanks, Judd. <laughs> my point being is one that I use quite a bit. And, that's, and I must have used that today a few times. One of the phrases, oh, the reason is why is, we wish that had been my point is, because you use my point is. My point is. And you use it like three times in the same sentence today, whereas you avoided the reason why is. Oh. Well, what were you trying to do to bait Judd then? I was I didn't using even pick these up on phrases, that. these words, during stuff you should know about. Did you say dumpster questions. fire? I mess. I think I threw in dumpster fire at some point. I threw in <laughs> buzzkill. I threw in. Um, I would argue. I, used I guarantee you. I used today. a lot of these. And I used. I did use dumpster fire today, David. Is that what you said? You use that okay. and the phrase. Here's my question. Yep. Phil got that one. We should do a. Roy- we should this do a ride with Roycey drinking game. We're like every time Roycey leaves his microphone on and drops an f bomb, and someone you know, has to dump it. Do you know the work though that 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 Matt went to to actually put this together? I. I appreciate it. It's impressive work from a loyal listener. If we did well, that's a horse, please. If we did a ride with Roycey, oh, marking that one down. <laughs> there. If we did a ride with Roycey bingo game, oh. what would we have to put on it? Like, what would be? How many things are on this one? Oh. There's 16 things on this yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. If we did, uh, and that's a standard, that's a standard bingo board, right? Yeah, because you do the. Oh no, it would be. You could do. You could do a tic tac toe board too. You uh-huh. could do nine. What yeah. if we did like nine? Well, I think number one would have to be each time Pat just dismisses anything Reavers says because he yeah, thinks he's an a, idiot. That's, a gimme. that's okay, right? Okay. Okay. That's just a curt okay. Mm-hmm. That's a gimme for sure. How about anytime Reavers tries to set up a bit and then Pat fumbles the football? That would be good. That would be great. Okay. So bit <laughs> fumbling. You mean it's not, oh, forget about it. It's not time for that joke. How about the phrase, <laughs> Johnny, what do you got? It's not time for the joke yet. Um, <laughs> oh, Johnny, Johnny, what do you Johnny, got? What do you got, Johnny? Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Johnny. How about when a phone guest is on the line and uh, as like the clock is running up toward the top of the hour break, Pat just like railroad cuts off the guest because they like mistimed the segment. That would be all right. <laughs> That's, what, yeah. That's what happened last week or, or this week, did you tell me? Oh, man. You said he had somebody on that. All right, Timmy, gotta go. Buster or something. Or if there's a phone guest and the phone crackles a little bit, breaks up, and we just get an absolute freak out on Patrick's end. <laughs> hey, 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 we, we got, we got you. You there? Timmy, right. Timmy, Timmy, you there? 
Oh, let's just take a break. In fairness, we did that thing exactly to Chris Singleton basically today. <laughs> we handled it, though. We handled it okay, didn't we? I mean, we just... There's only so much you can do. Yeah, you can't do a ton. Yeah. I feel like there's so much here, though. 16 things. There's there's so much. There's a great game. Because I... There's a show... Like, if you if you created just a Mackie and Judge show board, too, yeah. there would be... Uh, 16 would only just well, be between the tip the two, of the iceberg. Between the two of us, because you, you could come up with 16 for you as well. I, mean, thir- 32 I used the word be, culture about 11 times today. 32 would be easy. Every time I said it, I was like, ah, dang it. And Dave's Over got used. his, too. Because you, you throw it to Dave for questions. Three great questions. Outstanding. Questions. Yeah, but I mean, you always use that. Always use that. So almost as if he's offended that you would even oh, yes. like yes. wonder if the questions are going to be good. I can never decide if he's offended or trying to buy himself time because he absolutely has no <laughs> idea what he's going to ask you. I think it's a combination of the two. Column A, column B. I've only been here for a week and I'm already picking up on everything. Maybe you should make well, the, you play the game, then, Max. Yeah, and you could play the game. Oh, how can I put this? I do love that. How can I put this? Pick up on anything more about me. You might not be here for the next week. <laughs> That's very simple, yeah, Dave. Nothing, ask, on, nothing on you, Dave. Ask That's the true. last intern, Max, what happened. <laughs> Still haven't found the body. Yeah. Buried somewhere. <laughs> Poor intern Max, the first one. Dave never did like him. I've yet to like an intern. Let's be fair. It's he, not just you like this, Max? Max? We're off to a good start. I'm going to play quarterback for that uh, little off. Uh, no, I hope yeah, you don't play right. like you did in high school. Yeah, you throw one pick. Short arm in the ball. <laughs> Next week, I'll show you the good highlights. Missing your receivers entirely. Uh, Judd's back tomorrow, 10 to noon. We'll see you guys Monday.